Welcome, everyone, to episode 10-ish of the Fire Nuggets, Nuggets podcast. Tonight is October 25th, and we're psyched to have James Nisbet as our guest tonight. The goals here are pretty simple, bring in great guests and try to mine as much gold for them as possible in 30 to 40 minutes, short, sweet, and deep. Uh, unfortunately, Joey nor Jeff couldn't be here tonight, so it's just myself, Nick, uh, and I'm going to do my best to, to not drop the ball. So how you doing, James? I'm good, man. Just enjoying the day off before I got to go back and hit it again tomorrow. So right on. For those that don't know, we're going to do a little bio. It's going to be kind of a back and forth bio uh, with myself and James. Uh, so James is currently a firefighter with Clackamas Fire District. Uh, and then prior to that, he worked for Salem and then a couple other places as well. Uh, can you just kind of expound on that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, currently with Clackamas on uh, what I call the light rescue 303, it might be an ambulance ish by day and just to rescue by night. It's actually a pretty cool assignment. Um, fortunate to be on every fire in the district. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. But there's a give and a take, right? So I gotta give up the, gotta transport people to be able to get all that fire time as well. But it's all right. Might be going away soon. Um, and then, yeah, made the jump after being with city of Salem capital in Oregon was there for around five years and then, uh, made the jump and decided to do the career change about a year and a half ago. Um, and yeah, couldn't be more happy about doing it. It's Clackamas is just such a good place and there's so many great people there and we have just excellent leadership and good culture. And, you know, I just, people, people at other departments that have asked me, they're like, Hey, you've been there a little bit now. Um, is there, you've got to have, find the bad thing, right? There's gotta be one thing that you don't really like. I'm like, well, I guess like Microsoft teams isn't like super great, but that's about all I have. Um, but yeah, so a couple other smaller places before Salem. And um, so kind of the, the mixed background of urban, suburban, little rural and, uh, all of the above. That's a good perspective to have coming from a bunch of different departments and, and kind of weigh the pros and cons. And I like how with your current department, the only negative you can come up with is Microsoft Teams. So kudos to Clackamas Fire District. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're also a, a Brothers in Battle instructor um, who all of our listeners will be well acquainted with. Can you tell us a little bit about your time there? Yeah. So uh, I want to say I like officially got patched in maybe last March or April, I think. Yeah. That sounds about right. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of folks know, um, BIB traditionally, I think had a lot of, a lot of truck guys doing a lot of the stuff, um, you know, basic irons and advanced irons and then, uh, BS beyond the door. It's primarily, in a, in a way like truck functions, you get a lot of truck people. Um, so fortunately uh, for me, Cody asked me to um, hop on with a group um, to bring kind of more of the engine perspective of things. Me and Jay and uh, another guy, Rich Rennie are kind of more engine oriented. Um, so that just, I think just diversifies the group even more and makes us just a, a better training group so we can deliver, you know, a, a wider, a wider range of things, um, versus kind of just, uh, 
honing in on two things, we can now deliver multiple. Um, so I think, I think there's going to be more engine stuff coming from BIB in the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, just such a, such a good group of, of like-minded guys and gals in there. And, uh, you know, Cody is himself is just a tremendous human being. And so happy to, happy to go out and have late nights with them, you know, doing build out and late nights wrapping up search training. And, you know, I, we, we may have Aaron Fields beat in time. I'm not sure. Now I think our last VES beyond the door class, we wrapped up about like nine 30 or so. So. Yeah, I can attest to that. I also like the little tease with maybe more engine classes coming from BIB. So we have to look out for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, unfortunately, the the Left Coast Engine Fest got got canceled or, um, well, technically rescheduled, I guess. But um, the fortunate part of that, I think Jay and I are going to try and get together and and come up and really kind of refine our Beyond the Pre-Connect class. Because originally when that was delivered, it was like a one-day class. And I think we're aiming to make that a two-day class now and pack it full of a lot of good stuff. And um, now that we have a little bit of that time um, with left coast being canceled, I think uh, we can take a step back and, and build that program up. Nice. I, uh, I like that. I'm, I'm interested to, to take that class. You're also yeah. the co-host of a, a relatively new podcast. You can think you guys got three episodes right now. Mm -hmm. uh, the podcast uh, That's put on by BIB, but the other two co-hosts are, are Jay Bonifield and, and Kyle Romagus. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I had been wanting to do, uh, I, at least just in the podcast realm, um, I thought there was just kind of a lacking, really engine-focused podcast out there of, of really from the nozzle perspective and just kind of the nitty-gritty, right? I think, I think the there's a lot of podcasts out there that um you know the information is fluid and you know maybe maybe they're not geared towards one thing like um like the refined by fire podcast is really great but you can't really say it's like a truck oriented podcast or engine or search or whatever um so kind of i can add a vision of of like hey i want to try and squeeze as much information out of as many engine folks as possible and put that in a podcast and then also have it be, you know, them talk, apply those things to real life too. You know, I think, um, to real life experiences, excuse me. So I think like, for example, a lot of folks get, you know, Aaron Fields on and in my opinion, they don't always take, uh, the best opportunity of that time. And they, they all kind of ask almost the same questions of, of like, hey, what's your what's your origin story? How would Nozzle Forward start? How the how's the program changed? Which is all really good relative questions, but like, if it was me with somebody like that, I want to know about, hey, what are the new th what what are you telling a new guy on the nozzle? Or tell us about like your last fire you had on the nozzle and what did you do specifically, or what did you learn, or, um, you know what are things you're working on now as an individual, like really, really honing in on that kind of singular skill and singular functions. Um, again, because I think also engine work can get pretty broad. 
as well. Um, so I wanted to get get something where we could start pulling those people in and really squeezing the specific information out of them as much as we could. Um, and then I think in firemanship conference uh, 20, I think it was before COVID got crazy. So that would have been 2019 probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, we've been in the COVID warp for so long. It feels like, um, yeah. So I kind of, uh, I think I had got a hold of Kyle and, um, saw him there and then also, you know, um, had been interacting with Jay a ton, um, more so via, um, Facebook through engine company resurrection. I think we see eye to eye on a lot of things and um, then same, same with Kyle. So I approached Kyle and was like, Hey man, this is kind of what I'm thinking. Would you be interested? And of course Kyle was in and so was Jay. And um, prior to that, Jay or myself were not uh, a part of BIB yet. So we brought it up to Cody and Cody was hundred percent in. So um, then it kind of just, uh, took a little planning beforehand, f- figuring out like what we want to ask and, um, the structure of the, of the program and who do we want to choose as guests and everything like that. So, um, fortunately I think that we have our guest list right now is like 60 people deep or something like that. So another that's thing you want to. Wanna- that's who you want to have on there. That's who you've had on there. It just hasn't been released. No, that's who we want to have. Okay. Um, so and another thing too, is what we want to do is like, we didn't want to interview the same people that everybody's kind of already heard. Yeah. You know, right? like I, I love, like I love Dennis Laguerre. I love Brian brush. I love feel like all those not saying like taking anything away from them. But every, everybody's heard them, right? Like we can we can find a podcast or, or some type of interview or article or something like that and get that information from those really excellent dudes. But also there's, there's folks that are regionally um, making big impacts in the engine world. So, um, or uh, maybe people that aren't in the kind of the mainstream, I guess, like, um, uh, like Jay has so many so many guys that are, are really great dudes um, with his being able to teach in that regional academy in Snohomish. Um, he meets a lot of, I think, really great, great folks uh, as far as the engine stuff goes. And Kyle knows people. And we all, you know, we all run into people just traveling, you know, that aren't necessarily in the training circuit per se, um, maybe traveling, but maybe they're, impacting their region significantly so or they're just or they're just really into they're into the job and they're into being um really good engine firefighters and we want to capture those people too because you know if nobody asks those questions or nobody gets that information from them that could be lost and and never found right if they don't if it's just something they don't feel like passing on or don't want to have the time to to build up, you know, somebody who's out there, if they don't want to take the time, like I got to build this whole program. I got to build a two day class for anybody to listen to me, or I've got to, I've got to go to FDIC. You know, I think people can get 
demotivated by that and they might be holding on to really great information so we're trying to capture up those folks as well as you know the guys that kind of everybody knows yeah that that totally resonates with me is is there's a lot of really squared away brothers and sisters out there that Mm -hmm. that aren't kind of facebook famous or or aren't on the circuit that i think tapping into that is super important so kudos to you guys for doing that and and no disrespect to the guys the the rays and and dennis and and brushes and all those other guys that 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 get all the credit that everybody knows uh because they have good stuff but but i I appreciate your point because i you know having a podcast here being a co-host you know that's kind of part of our our idea too is like hey Mm -hmm. as as awesome as 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 some of these people are like when you go to the well for the eighth time for this person like there's not going to be a whole lot of gold that's that's left over yeah absolutely um and it, yeah, and I think too is you almost have to uh, like if you have the opportunities to listen, hang out, take a class from some of the bigger guys like Fields, Brush, um, Shoop, the guy, the off the the guys that they mention briefly or something like those are the ones you want to write down and try and find out like. Um, I found like my notebook the first time I took nozzle forward and I have like Meg Jones written down. Um, Cause like Aaron keeps mentioning her uh, the first time I took his class back in 2013, you know, he keeps me- or he mentions all these other people. I had like 10 names that I tried looking up and they're, they're not necessarily published people, but I'm like, they obviously had some type of big influence into what's happening here. So, um, Luckily, like Jay knows a lot of, of those folks, but those are like the people that I think sometimes have the gold, right? Is um, ones that have influenced the ones making big pushes now. Um, you know, finding out who those folks are and getting that info. Yeah, I like that. I think it's a good perspective. You're also a second generation firefighter. Can you tell us about kind of growing up, uh, having your your father in the fire service, and and kind of having this orbiting the fire service your entire life? Yeah. Uh, so my old man, he was also a Clackamas fireman. Um, and then my mom, she was a dispatcher. And so like kind of the public service area, you know, I, me becoming a plumber or electrician, probably not as likely, you know, I kind of just grew up around, the firehouse or, you know, visiting my mom at work. She's the dispatch center is like where the police station was in Corvallis. So, um, more or less destiny, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I like growing up, I can't thinking back, like I can't think back far enough to where it was like the click of, yeah, I'm going to be a fireman. I, I just think like, it must have been in there way before, you know, I can even remember. Um, and I don't, I can't like speak on exactly as like what the attraction was or the drive. You know, I think there's the obvious things, right. It's like, you know, I think most sons look or, or daughters look at their fathers like, hell yeah. Like he's a badass. I want to be a badass. You know, he's cool. <laughs> he's got a cool job. I want to do that. Um, you know, I, 
so I think, I think it was just a lot of that and just like that, that passive influence, you know, and my, and my dad never pressured me either. He was always like, dude, be a dentist. You could make like 200 grand a year. You get all these hot chicks working in your office and you have <laughs> barely have to show up to work, go be a dentist. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it, being young and then being younger, like once he, I think once it was like, okay, I'm not letting go of like that idea that I want to be a fireman, you know, 10 years old, like I'm still hundred percent into it. Um, you know, I, as far back as I can remember, like I, it was just, it's always been on my mind and it's always, uh, kind of invaded by headspace. Like, um, my, we lived on property growing up and my dad used to, um, you know, he'd like burn piles or whatever, clearing property brush and whatnot. And I distinctly remember like one time he, he had like a, a pile or two going and I think he had to like drive down the road to a neighbor's house or something like that. He, he, or he walked down to the end of the driveway and I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to put this stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> so I just remember like the feeling, um, uh, I don't know. So the, the, the satisfaction of like, as early, I think it was maybe seven or eight years old at this time, as far back then, just the satisfaction of like the suppression effort. Like, I'm like, hell yeah, this stuff's cool. And of course my dad came back. He was like super pissed because they put out all his burn piles, but then he <laughs> kind of like understood. Um, but the, the nice thing too, obviously about being second generation is there is your senior man is kind of like defaulted into somebody in your family. So, um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to do a lot of ride alongs with him while he was still on the job. And, you know, I was mentored by some of his guys that are now like officers in the department. Um, and you also, were, got, you were a yeah, cadet at Clackamas where your dad was, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it was a it was a good thing. I think it, uh, you know, I I definitely was a little younger and immature. I think when I started out, but um, I mean, who isn't at that age? Um, but I was just I was just I just remember that feeling of just being like so ready. I'm like I'm ready to do this job. Like I want to do it. I don't even want to go to school to do it. I want to start doing it now. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it was, it was, it was a great experience, like getting to ride and then see how he approached the job and then watching him at actual fires and just watching, you know, picking up the little things like, you know, I, I can't think back of anything that he like, did like technically wise where it was like, Oh yeah, that was heads up or, Oh, that was a great technique for that or anything like that. But one thing I think that sticks out of my mind was anything that action that I watched him do on a fire, it, there was no hesitation and there was always a certainty behind it. And I think that's important to, to have because it, it, there's so much translation to what we do. I think when you hesitate um, things, things start to go wrong. And even with our just recent podcast with um, Sam Singh, I mean, we talked to, we kind of hit on that a little bit with the whole Udu loop stuff of 
when that hesitation, we start getting in the, that hesitation, like that's when things start to compound and get worse. Um, so I just, I, that's one thing that always stuck out to me was like, there's always kind of forward action with them. It was never, there's no defense, I guess. There's always offense. Um, but, and then as I got onto the job, you know, officially, I could always, if like growing up, like he never wanted to talk about like what was happening at work, you know, say, Hey, like you running cool calls, any fires, anything cool happened? No, 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 no. You know, kind of brush it off. And then when I got on the job, he, he like would call and talk to me for like an hour and a half and asking about this, about that. And like, wanted to talk about the job, like more, more so than like I ever could remember, like to the point where my wife was like starting to get mad. I'm like, well, it's my dad. Like I can't <laughs> <We're not gonna laughs> hang up. On. And, uh, you know, he, he really kind of turned like the last couple years, you know, um, you know, he's, he, I want to say he technically retired in like 2012, maybe 2010. I, I can't, remember exactly um and i think he was kind of unhappy just the the culture there was totally different than it is now um but uh now you know well when i got on and especially when i got at clackmas i think he was like ready to come back you know 10 years later and start hitting it again if he could but i mean he just he turned into such a, a buffy goob like his last few years here so um, you know, always asking questions and he really, it was funny too. Cause he's obviously wasn't on Facebook when I tried to explain to him that there was kind of a movement of, um, people who wanted to take the stance of, uh, like exterior water application being their primary option. I would say, mm-hmm. I, I think obviously we, most folks know, like, when you're doing it kind of when you're not or but i think i do think if that is without arriving there and there are departments out there that are like hey we only do transitional attack or if we're having to take a window to make fire attack like explaining that to him that that was even an option he's like what is happening (laughs) you know um and then also talking to him about how like the books he learned on you know um like emmanuel freed and uh 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 principles and practices and uh, uh the uh uh the book fornell wrote um fire stream the, management yeah fire stream management handbook uh telling him that those books are like gold now and nobody can find them and that's what everybody wants to learn from he thought was just like the weirdest thing <laughs> uh <laughs> But uh, he he also he had always talked about though too uh, us being where we are kind of on the west coast in the Pacific Northwest specifically the gas cooling kind of three D fire attack stuff really took off here. Um, I specifically remembered some of our drills as a cadet where we would thirty degree fog do two to three spritzes in the doorway, shut the door to let that steam do its steam magic. And then you would 
you know, make entry essentially. And I remember him telling me, he's like, I always thought that that was screwy and it never made sense to me. Like he, he, he by no means was getting into like fire stream dynamics or really cared. I think that much about it to where he was doing a ton of research, but instinctually he's, he all, he told me he always thought that that like how we used fog nozzles and all that stuff just seemed really off. And, you know, having pre-connects, he was, he was a, a really big kind of LA city um, buff. Like if he, that's who he always kind of looked to for like, if you were going to say like, well, this department does it this way, his was always LA city. And mine, mine's always been like FDNY. Um, but uh, you know, he was like, I, like I never understood why we had pre-connected crosslays. Like every, I don't know why any of them are pre-connected. So like just these like concepts that he had in the back of his mind and that are gaining a lot of traction now. Like I think he was pretty excited to see that. Um, and it was, and I know he was excited about just kind of the blue collar movement coming back of of working on the basics. Because um, I think when he came through, he started. Clackamas in 91 so like that mid 90s point was really when like RIT became big and more technology added to the job became big how do we kind of complicate things and um, instant incident command programs and all that stuff so he I know he definitely loved seeing what like the conferences were happening and really the messages I think that were being pushed about, uh, you know, us ultimately having to answer the call, like when it happens, like we're, people don't call us to not be aggressive. You know, like we, we had this conversation in the, in the, uh, in the Bay the other day. Um, I'll try not to get fired up because that stuff fires me up, but um, about like backup and standby teams and I was having a conversation with my partner um, uh, because we're trying to build our engine company manual and, and really kind of narrow when we're doing backup lines and standby team shit. Right. So we want, we've, we've, we're trying to get as many people on that first line as possible. So we started talking about that. I'm like, could you, could you fucking imagine that you call, somebody because your house is on fire they arrive with maybe six people for like engine and like a rescue and you're watching things happen and you just see two people standing there outside of the building with a hose line doing nothing and you ask them well what are you guys doing well we're here to stand by fuck you don't stand by put my shit out (laughs) like that's you know same thing with law enforcement like nobody call nobody calls people to come stand by nobody calls people to come oh oh yeah i want i'm gonna pay for i'm gonna pay my taxes and pay for a levy so i can have more people that are gonna come hang out when i have a problem like i want everybody solving my problem so i think conceptually you know that is that's always been a hard thing for me to wrap around my my mind around like the two in two out it's like (laughs) why like what it's like you know we you look at the the shooting in in columbine 
you know, people, things got worse. People started to bleed out and die because they weren't committing multiple officers to the inside, but now they've changed things since that, right? Like if there's a school shooting, officers just start dumping into the building and start starting to find that target and neutralize the threat. But fire service, I feel like some, some departments are still figuring that out. It's like the last thing in my mind that anybody should be doing is building things, building processes or systems to where we have bodies that are hanging out, not doing anything. Right. It's, it's funny you bring that up. Uh, and something that I didn't know until relatively recently, uh, this is a rabbit hole that, that me and another buddy are kind of exploring is that, so OSHA first adopted the two in two out or Tito policy in 1971, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until 1998 when it was expanded to include fire departments. So that means that there was Tito for 27 years uh, in other disciplines um, that we have data on. So Tito has been around for 50 years. 27 years, not in the fire service, 23 years in the fire service. So we've been doing this experiment for the last two plus decades right now. And I'm really curious, and and I know we don't have this data necessarily, but I'm really curious as to what this data shows. Are we safer or do we have more security on the fire ground with two in, two out? Um, Because I am skeptical and I know that we don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have the data that we need to make this decision but it seems so inherently backwards at times. And you can make a valid case for two in, two out. Sure. But when someone's like, you're, so you're outside in case something bad happens. Well, yeah, well, something bad is happening. All my stuff is burning down. <laughs> right. And, and, and we don't know if anybody's in there. We don't know if that place is, is searchable or, or, or anything right now. So maybe, maybe this is a bad thing. So maybe you can use this as an excuse to go in interior. Um, so I always found that that quite odd, and I only can imagine what that was like. And there's, you know, uh, Andy Fredericks has a really good FDIC keynote where he talks about this. Um, but mm-hmm. when if you were in the fire service pre Tito and then kind of para and post Tito, I would be really intrigued just to see kind of what the zeitgeist was like and what people thought of of this whole ideology and this operational change you know, a pretty big operational change, yeah. paradigm change uh, as it was going on. Uh, I know there was a lot of uh, resistance. Just I wish we could go back in time and, and mm-hmm. have more conversations with those people. Yeah. And I, it maybe you know, in its inception, it, they didn't think it was going to influence or necessarily, maybe they didn't envision that everything was going to start to revolve around that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like every kind of instant command like package is always that's always a major component of how do you put the pieces together when there's the two and two out stuff or not or absent of it or how do we, you know, it's it's always like, how are we how are we trying to get around this two and two out thing? You know, um, it's become this it's, it's such a crazy deal. And especially after being um, with Clackamas for the last year and a half, I think from the top down, we have found that uh, just having our guys and gals in the building has been safer for us and safer for anyone else. Because if we're shoulder to shoulder in a 1500 square foot ranch, 
and we just pack the building full of people. If I go down, like I don't need the RIT team. I have four dudes standing right there, you know, or I don't need to out because there is a fireman in every like square inch of this place. Um, I, I've, I've loved going to our, like going to fires at Clackamas. Like, it's just awesome because like we pile a bunch of people inside and then we put people on the roof and then like fires go out, searches happen. And it's just, um, it's, it's, a, I feel, I personally feel safer knowing that we're committing the right amount of people inside versus setting up standby teams and groups too earlys or, or like divisions um you know at a department that i worked for my previous department there some folks were pretty hot to trot on like setting divisions up uh really early on in a building fire and it's like okay are we, we're now we're taking three officers out of the mix by committing to making things divisions and overcomplicating things it's like let's just put all of us inside and then everything is just going to go fine from there you know yeah yeah I, I, there's there's some other gold that i want to dig in there but before we get there i want to just kind of keep on going going sure. down your your impressive bio here but you also started a fool's chapter can you tell us a little bit about that or help start a fool's chapter yeah so um in the willamette valley where uh Salem is there the certifying body of Oregon is like right there and everything that they do is task book certification training that we all know and loathe um so there really just was no uh I guess like vessel or or anything for like outside training happening whatsoever, or you had little pockets of guys that were into the job, but they didn't know how to get momentum with that or bring that to the region. So, um, my see first or my second or third year at Salem, you know, I was, I was really hungry. I was after my first year off probation at Salem, I think I spent like $12,000 of my own money traveling and training. Um, this is back when we could write it off. So my wife was more cool with it then. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I went to a lot of stuff and was fortunate to get a lot of information, but also was really fortunate to get a lot of contacts for classes or lectures or just, you know, people that are out there doing things, um, ideas. So got with some like-minded guys and uh, thought that we could hopefully bring some, some good training to that Valley. And um, cause there's, there's a few departments that are kind of concentrated in there. There's city of Salem and Marion County and Kaiser kind of make up more of the Metro area of that Valley there. And then some small mid places, 40, 50,000 people, kind of towns or cities or whatever trinkled out throughout there so we covered a big big area and um yeah i think we got established in 2017 i want to say and then justin mcwilliams did our first lecture and uh did some hands-on training and um 
sorry, one second. Um, discipline dog training and um, really started to get a lot of momentum with it. And we had such a killer year plugged in for 2020 and then uh, COVID happened. Um, like we had James Johnson was literally flying out like I think in a week before they locked everything down and then he got locked down in Canada. So I think it was good for the region. I mean, unfortunately I moved um, this last July, July one just moved up here to Washington, um, Vancouver area here. So um, I can't geographically, I, I can't be a part of the chapter anymore, but um you know the nice thing was i think it gave it's given a lot of guys a platform and also a way to get out and do training and keep some of that momentum alive i think that has just not been that in that area ever um i think a lot of the mentality in that area has always been well if it doesn't come from dpsst then it's not worth it or it's not real so, uh, you know, I mean, you got, you, everybody knows here, like you can get your firefighter two or your aerial operator, or your instructor one or whatever, but it, 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 as far as coming down to truly doing the, the physical blue collar functions of the job, they're just not included in any of those programs, you know? Um, so it, it's definitely, it, it was an up. I think it still will be an uphill battle for the, for that region. And it was definitely an uphill battle um, for me, at least out there, you know, um, it's crazy. It's crazy. How, like the amount of good things you can do and how uncomfortable it can make people. Yeah. A lot of truth in that one. Mm -hmm. Big fan of the fools as well. And I think they're one of the greatest ways to smuggle in some of these high quality instructors yep. and and get this content uh in front of people people's uh, eyes and and into their hands so i think it's a it's a great organization and uh if you've never been if you're listening i'm sure you know who the fools are if you've never been to a meeting find your little your local chapter and, and go to a meeting absolutely you're also a father and husband yeah yeah i have two kids and have been married for i think uh, this year will be well, 20, uh, June of 21 will be four years. Yeah, four years married. How old are your kiddos? Uh, I got a two and a half and then a seven-year-old. Okay. Boys, yeah. girls, one of each? Boy and a girl, yeah. Boy is the, okay. the young guy, call him squad man. And then um, uh, uh, the girl, she's the oldest. Okay. All right, so... We got a handful of questions here and we're going to start circling back to some of the things that sure. we touched on here. Um, but one thing that I always like to start on is, is just kind of passion. So you're obviously one of the leaders in the fire service when it comes to engine work and you absolutely ooze passion uh, for the job. Do you have any idea where this kind of love of the job came from? Well, I think, yeah, I think we kind of hit on it a little bit. Uh, obviously growing up in it every, for whatever, like I can't, I can't explain like how those puzzle pieces fit, right? Like it's almost like the Legos just fit in my brain. And um, the, the love for the fire service has just been there since like 
you know, maybe just my inception as a human being. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I think a lot of it does have to do with obviously my dad being a fireman and then, um, the passion for it just grew and grew and grew. And I think, I think also knowing so early on that it is what I wanted to do, the anticipation and the patience until I was old enough to start school to be able to go truly do it. I think that just like built the passion and built the fire even more because all I could do besides doing the job, all I can do to kind of quench that thirst at that point, you know, 13 years old, like I obviously can't go into a burning building, but I can find like every FDNY book possible, every FDNY, like, you know, DVD or, um, look up everything on YouTube, like just house fire after house fire after house fire on YouTube and ask my dad every question I can to kind of like keep that at bay till I'm able to do the job. Um, you know, I just, I definitely remember like growing up feeling the, like almost like the anxiety of having to wait just another year, you know, one more year, um, before I can actually start doing this stuff. So I think, I think growing up the, the passion for it just kind of came naturally. Um, and then in regards to engine stuff, you know, I don't know what it, what it was, you know, engine versus truck or whatever. Um, it's probably cause I don't like heights very much is why I'm more attracted to the engine stuff. But, uh, I think just like the, the precision involved and whatever, I think it goes back to like putting out those burn piles, like that feeling of satisfaction of suppression, you know, it, whatever it tickles the fancy in the brain. Like I, I, I can't even really tell you, but um, all those, all getting to put all those pieces together um, it, and, you know, maybe, it, maybe honestly, it's also a little like ego driven, right? Like, I want to be the one who's tapping the fire. Like, yeah, cutting holes is sweet. And I think it's, you know, bold engines make, or excuse me, bold trucks make bold engines. Um, so I think, uh, you know, like to all those truck functions like have to happen to help the engine be successful. But we all know, like, you don't put a fire out by doing a vertical vent or any supportive function. It's, water on the fire at the end of the day so maybe it's just a little bit of <laughs> uh, a little ego driven of like hey i want to be that guy like i want i want that satisfaction of of stuffing that thing out and and doing that so um you know it, i'd say it's just a culmination of things for for that passion um and of course like there's that that feeling of reward too right i think the engine is the only comp like fire ground company that sees fires through from beginning to end. Right. Like, like I said, truck throws a ladder, cuts a hole on the roof. They get their production out of the hole and then they kind of got to wait. Right. Cause the, the engine is going to put the fire out, but the engine, you know, they, they get the satisfaction and, and they're able to see this thing through from start to finish. They might have to force the door. They're going to have to make the stretch. They're going to have to push in hit any rooms that are on fire, maybe search the fire room and rooms adjacent. So like 
there's just something about that that I think um, it, it's so rewarding, I think, to me. Um, and that's, I think, what drives a lot of that passion. Yeah, I like the honesty in that in that answer and the authenticity and, and owning the ego of being like, you know, part of it's that instant gratification, knowing that mm-hmm. I put that fire out. I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So so you're, you're, you're super engaged and have been for, for years into the job. But I think in all of us, it kind of ebbs and flows where we're really motivated for a while. And then we just kind of want to hang out at home and hang out with our kids and and watch some TV and not do go that extra mile. Uh, and even at work where we're not pulling lines as much as we should be. What do you do to kind of get through some of those valleys? Do you have any tips or tricks for everybody? You know, I, I think the important thing with those is like, obviously they're going to happen, right? Like there's going to be, we, we, we go through it. Um, we went through it as a fool's chapter. I mean, we kind of go through it too with like BIB, right? Like we'll, we'll have a three month period where we're teaching a ton of classes and then we're kind of done for the year. Like, could we do more? Could we do a class like every two weeks? Probably, you know, Cody needs to hire a secretary to like jam that out. Cause he says he's got a bunch of unanswered requests, but um, you know, I think there's enough business to be drummed up there. But I think, I think it's important to ride, I guess, those, those valleys out. Cause I think, I think that's what adds balance. So I think having a val, you know, having those, those valleys in the right context are important. Right. So I think if, if my default level is fire is kind of always on my mind and I'm always thinking about making the stretch and my gear is always going on the truck and I'm always ready to do the job. Like if that's as low as your Valley gets, and I think that's as low as your Valley like should get versus becoming completely disengaged and not wanting to do the job anymore. I think that's a different thing, but I, I think, um, having those periods where you're like, man, I just like, I don't feel like stretching the line today. I just kind of want to chill. And I think that's totally fine. Right. I would say that any of the heavy hitters and any of the dudes that are really passionate, like ride, ride the highs uh, as much as you can and then embrace, embrace the lows. Right. I think when there are those, um, periods of uh stagnancy i guess i think i've hit them enough you know and i know that they're kind of temporary like i know all right yeah i'm gonna go to if i go to work for like four to six shifts and like hey we didn't train like as much as i want and think we should train every day like realistically it just doesn't happen and there's some days it feels good to just kind of chill with the family or not not be like reading a fire only textbook or or you know uh, a book on like making myself better in the the fire service realm you know sometimes and i think it's okay and i think embracing those is what's important as long as you're not leaving and losing that default kind of level that you've set up for yourself right um, 
because I, like I said, I think the, the time where you become com- completely disengaged and non-caring kind of low point where you could almost like quit your job, you know, and I've, and I've had that too, um, where I've had like really yeah, rough times yeah. at older, my old department where it was like, man, I could almost like not do this job anymore and be happier. But, um, but I think having the self-reflection and the, the awareness and being accepting of, of those lows is what's important. Um, and then as you kind of like work through it and get, uh, start climbing the mountain again a little bit, you know, just again, ride that high for any longer, like use that momentum that you're starting to gain on the way up out of, out of a lull. Um, you know, cause they, they realistically, they just happen to everybody. And I think it's okay. You know, I, I, it's so, it'd be, it, it'd be exhausting to be like my personal thought is it'd be exhausting to be a thousand percent all the time for most people, right? Like I have family and kids um, and my wife lets me do a ton because she supports the mission. And, but there are times where it's like, all right, we just have a lot of stuff going on. And like, as a fan, like we're just having a busy schedule. It's like, I can't answer the phone right now and talk about nozzles or, you know, I just can't think about that. I've got to think about, you know, other stuff. So, and I think it, and I think it's okay, you know, um, and I think the guys that are into the job know that. And I think they're always going to be into the, I, I, I just don't, th- I just don't think it's realistic to have people that are really passionate about the job to not be passionate anymore. Like if they, if they get beat down to, to the point where they're not passionate anymore, i at least from what I've seen, it seems like those people eventually get pushed to a point where they change their environment and then they, they find that passion again. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that answer. We've asked that question a handful of times just because I, I find motivation such an interesting topic. It's this nebulous mm-hmm. concept that people have a hard time really explaining. Um, but I thought when you first steel manned, like here's as low as your your valley can go and you're still engaged, your gear's still ready, you're ready to go to work. But from that point on, like if you're not reading stuff at night or you're not asking people questions or somehow trying to, to better yourself, like just ride that out. I thought there was a lot of wisdom in that. Um, so I, I appreciate that one. I'm going to have to probably take that to heart a little bit more. Sure. Um, not that I don't do that, but you get these other answers that are always like, well, you just got to be like Jocko, discipline is freedom. <laughs> And stuff like that. And that doesn't really jive with me. Um, so I, I appreciated that answer quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, th- I think it's just realistic as well. You know? Yeah. I, I would say, like, most of the guys that are engaged are just, their their default is just going to be such a higher level anyway than somebody who punches in and punches out. Well said there. So again, this is another one that we're circling back to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard you talk about this before. Uh, when it comes to your engine company training and, and your understanding of engine company ops, it's, it's, it seems like it's gone undergone a paradigm shift. We're at, initially you were taught kind of the principles and practices of 
of kind of the 3D firefighting uh, or thermal balance mm -hmm. firefighting. I've heard uh, some people refer to it as. And now you lean pretty heavily on using the reach of your stream, flowing as much water as needed, flowing when and where that you need to. Can you kind of explain what precipitated the, the internal change in your paradigm? Was it a fire? Was it a class? Was it a conversation? Yeah, so it was, it was kind of a couple of things. Um, and I told Jay about this when we were in uh, Ohio recently about the time I almost died on a burner learn. Well, died might be a little dramatic, but um, we definitely have, I, I have never been so hot, like to, to, to this day, I've never been this hot before to where my regulator, the function of the regulator was starting to change because of the heat. And the other guy who was in there, his helmet was like literally on fire. So, um, what happened was, so we, this situation was a, a burn to learn deal. And it was a kind of like a Jack and Jill style, um, probably the best way to explain it, Jack and Jill style, like dining room. So old craftsman style home where everything's kind of compartmentalized like dining room kitchen living room like there's a doorway in each space basically yeah i think i'm tracking um so the 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 set was in the dining room the fire attack team was coming through the back kitchen door and us as interior safety um we were on the other uh, side of the uh, uh, dining room on the other door. So the doorway, the doorways almost like faced each other. So the, the entrance doorway from the kitchen faced the faced uh, across the, the doorway to the living room entrance into the kitchen where we, uh, us as the safeties were sitting. So this light happens and um the uh, Furtex tile, the glue, just fucking kicks off. And we almost instantly have rollover. And then it starts doing the, because the compartment's smaller, it starts doing the rollover, now traveling laterally to um, the walls and starting to roll down the walls, right? So we know that once that starts happening, like we're getting closer to like a flashover situation. Um, the uh, fire attack team was a brand a group of brand new volunteers uh, from the community next to us. And when things kind of kicked off and got a little crazy, the guy leading the attack team had backed up and he was a bigger guy, had, but had backed up into the nozzle person. So the nozzle person couldn't turn the nozzle on. And we start to recognize like, okay, this is like gotten relatively aggressive quickly. It shouldn't be this way. We start yelling at this point. We can't see the attack team on the other side of the fire because fire has occupied this whole room, basically floor to ceiling. And, um, we're just yelling across this fire into the fire, right? Just, Hey, open the line, open the line, open the line. Finally, the, the line opens, uh, but it opens into a wide fog pattern. And I 
distinctly remember as soon as the line, like as soon as I heard the line open and like the kind of the air, um, the air chatter in the nozzle. So I'm like, okay, I can hear the lines open. And I, I, the living room was probably 15 feet long. And the officer that we're, that was in there with us doing interior safety stuff told us to run. Uh, And as we're running out of the living room, because they're applying water from the other side with a fog, uh, flames chased us and were over our heads the whole entire way. And I instantly felt a blast of heat. So after that, I was kind of like, okay, why did that happen? Why did, why did applying water through that device make things worse on our end? And then the other thought was, you know, the living room wasn't involved in fire, but that application method definitely put fire in that other room. So that was weird for me. Um, And then, you know, started always looking at, it started to ask the questions of like, okay, you know, obviously growing up watching FDNY, like they have smooth bores. Like why do they have smooth bores? And nobody can answer. And I always got the, the BS like general answer of like, well, cause their buildings are different. Okay. Well, that one's made of brick and that one over here on our block is also made of brick. How is that different? Well, they just fight fires differently. Well, what's different? Like nobody could answer. Right. So I'm like, okay, they're yeah. (laughs) So why are they doing this? And I couldn't get the answer. And while I was still kind of coming up, um, you know, I, I didn't know which direction to go to find the answers. So then fast forward a little bit, and, and this whole time I've been told the 3D fog, like penciling, burst, all that stuff. But then plenty of fires where we didn't pencil. And it's like, well, why didn't you pencil? That's what they tell us to do. Well, yeah, it was too hot. So I just left it on. All right. So there's all these like weird disconnects and people are not giving me the information that I'm wanting. I don't know where to go and I don't know how to find it. So I'm like at this like crossroads of like, what the shit is going on here? Um, so then uh, fast forward to 2014, 2013, around there. Um, this is where I uh, meet the, the great John Kwan. Uh, we take Nozzle 4 together. Um, I think he had just got off probation in Tacoma, um, if I remember right. So I take Nozzle forward, and then I start writing, like I said, I start writing down the names, Jeff Shoup, Andy Fredericks, Meg Jones, uh, um, uh, all, the other, all the other people, Dennis Laguerre, all these people, and I've never heard of any of them. So go through nozzle forward and I feel like I've just been punched in the face because it's so much information to take in two days, even just, just from the fire behavior side of things, like his lecture period where I'm like, Whoa, okay. This is different. Um, so then go back and start researching all this stuff. And I find all these articles. Um, Oh, I, I should back up a little bit. At that nozzle forward class, I also lasered somebody in the eyeballs and made their eyes bleed. So 
Yeah. With an actual laser? No, no, no. With the okay. with the okay. with the stream. Yeah. Though they called back wall and he was over my shoulder and <laughs> just strafed across his eyeballs. He fell backwards screaming and blood was coming out of his eyes. Damn. Yeah. Uh <laughs> it was kind of funny. He um I actually so this guy worked for Bend and you know, many years later, five, six years later or whatever, at the firemanship conference, I was at one of the social events and I feel some like hands starting to pat my shoulders. And it was that guy pretending like he was blind, which he's totally fine now. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so I start researching stuff and I come across like the, the quantitative approach to, um, a nozzle selection and then i find the uh uh little drops of water uh years later or whatever yeah. and then i start printing off just like all this crap and i'm like whoa 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 this is like totally not like i'm finding 50 different articles saying that this one textbook is full of shit and i can't find anything supporting that the textbook so there's a shift, like there's something right there that says like, okay. And I start talking to guys about it. Like, does this make sense to you? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so then I start, that's when like the, the engine bug kind of gets, starts really getting momentum. Um, and then I have some several fires after that where I open the line and kind of more or less shuffle or move in with the line flowing. Um, you know, my first, first time through nozzle forward, like the, the concept of water application and what I know now wasn't anywhere near what it is now, but uh, it was the baby steps of like, okay, now I'm moving with just the line on, right? Maybe I'm not moving it, like moving my stream, super effectively but i'm not shutting the line down at these fires and it's going a lot better so uh really it was just kind of all those things and that search for answers in that class that um kind of put everything together and then do i start to think about it practically it's like you know in a home defense situation i don't want to like shoot somebody 27 times with a 22 like i'd rather shoot them like three times if they're trying to kill me and have those three times be effective so to me like the fog nozzle penciling was like the 22 caliber hand line of the fire service like we're just like plinking like get back get back get back get back okay finally we got a kill shot <laughs> you know um so, yeah, it, it, it was amazing the amount of information that was just always out there to, you know, answer all of those questions that I had early on, but also that nobody knew, like, what, how to point me in the direction, but it was all right there, like, the whole time. I just needed to go to one class and have somebody cite their sources. Like, that was the most, that was one of the biggest benefits was... I love how Aaron like cites his sources. And I think, 
you know, not only is it respectful, but it's also helpful to get the full big picture of that subject matter. So, um, you know, finding all these articles and I even find like the line of duty death in Oakland, you know, specifically, you know, the fog, their, their fog nozzles played a big role in that. So, um, you know, then it just goes down the rabbit hole, right? It's starting to look at things objectively and like, how much are we flowing? Why aren't we flowing more when we can be? Why do we have high pressure? This seems way more difficult than it needs to be. Um, so yeah, just then it sent me down the hole and, you know, fires started going a lot better for me. And then I've just, it's all, it's just gotten better from there. So I like how you explained, you know, kind of the, the process in your head for, for all this. I also like that pro tip that you had for anyone who goes to classes is that when an instructor says a name, write those names down and explore those mm -hmm. rabbit holes because there's a lot of gold that you can mine down there as well. So I, uh, I appreciate that. That's something that I'm sure most of our listeners know. Uh, but if you don't and that's new to you, uh, it's, it's sage advice. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're a ways into this right now. And so I'm going to kind of start flying through a, a couple questions. Sure. Um, but concerning the job, so specifically, mm -hmm. uh, not concerned about you being a dad or, or right. a husband or anything else necessarily, although there can absolutely be, be overlap. Concerning the job, what's the most influential thing that you've ever read? It could be an article, a book, a blog, a post, anything. Um, I would say, uh, the really like fire service related thing for me um it really was like i kept referring back to it and really conceptualizing everything and putting it into practice and i, and I know so many people say this and it uh, maybe people think it's cliche or whatever but um the book of andy that gary put together like I had everything I needed right there and it was all the fact it was all compiled. And then, um, you know, just like that, the one statement that he makes that has resonated with me forever and it's just so powerful. And I think it's very bold as well. Um, I think it speaks to him just like as a, as a East coast, like New York city fireman as well. But um, basically it says like to fight, any fire other from the inside speaks utter cowardice. It's like, there's no science behind that statement at all. It's not technical, but if you start to dissect it, I think it truthfully speaks to the mission. And it also tr truthfully speaks to the expectation of people who call us as well. So I think, because that was the other thing too, for me was like, the 3d stuff fog like the fog firefighting thing was big but also that was around you know, around that time the um uh the kind of ex exterior fire attack transitional fire attack study came out from ul and everybody was like yep that's it we're putting water in from the outside only so um yeah i think just having that book and just those articles like just the way Andy presented stuff when he wrote stuff was so simple. Um, 
but he also could get really technical if he needed to as well. Um, so I think that was, that was like the biggest document that was so influential and was, was really the, the last piece that kind of righted the ship, I guess, um, for me. And it's something I still refer to today. Like I've read through the book, but I, like I crack it open and like, I'm like, yeah, what do you say here? Or what did he say about that? Like, I, I still refer to it constantly, you know, um, there's just so much good stuff in there. Yeah. It really is kind of like the engine company Bible. Uh, yeah. Fire service. Um, all right. Broad brushstrokes here. What mm-hmm. are we doing? The American fire service, what are we doing? Well, um, and, and what are we, what could we use some improvement on? Uh, I think we're uh, doing the one thing that we're doing well is I feel like we're giving fire departments and people are getting a lot of good tools to gather objective data and ask questions now more so than ever before. I feel like, like, I don't, you know, in the, in the nineties, like when my dad was on the job, like flow testing the nozzle, I don't think was a thing. Right. uh, Maybe Dennis knows, but I I don't ever remember that being a thing. Right. Like your salesman just says like, yeah, this is what it does. Trust me. You know, now I think there is the accountability on manufacturers when it comes to firefighting equipment, not just nozzles, but like everything. Right. Like we're testing stuff. And I think we're doing a, a much better job of asking questions and finding out answers and really vetting things before we commit to them um, and gathering data as well within those things. Um, And as far as like one thing that we're maybe like not doing well is trying to figure out the best way to say this. I still feel like there is a contingent of either people or departments who argue or justify their inaction as being acceptable in a lot of scenarios when it shouldn't be. And I don't know. And I've seen, and I've seen it in, you know, when I've done, like FEMA classes, like health and safety officer or instant safety officer. All it is is like, well, that's unsafe. They shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be, we wouldn't do that. It's almost like for a while, it was almost the cool thing to say somebody's unsafe or, oh, we're not going to do that because it, it could be too dangerous. It's almost become this crutch that a lot of departments are still living on. And it's, it's been interesting to hear people talk, like, I don't know if it's just like around here regionally, but there are a lot of, uh, not in my department by any means, but a lot of folks administratively who almost like joy themselves in talking about how they didn't do something because it was unsafe. Like they've caught the unsafe act before there was any execution and they've saved lives by doing it 
because something theoretically could have been bad. Right. So it's like, they, it's almost like they get their jollies off. Like I didn't let my, I would not let my guys go in there. I'd be pulling him by the collar. If he tried to fight that fire. Like I heard somebody say that watching like a Houston guy go into like a um, pretty well-involved like apartment fire. He's like, I remember somebody saying I'd have them by the collar pulling them back. Like almost said it as like a macho statement. Like, um, like there's like there's being heroes <laughs> doing more playing that way instead. So I still think there's, there's a lot of that. I don't know where it comes from. And I just, it's like, we didn't sign up to constantly be told no or be held by the safety leash at all. So it's, it's a weird deal. Those, those concepts too, of safety, of risk, of security, um, especially those first two are so nebulous that it's hard to even define those concepts, let mm-hmm. alone state that this one action is, is unsafe. You know, if you look at an NFL running back, you know, if you put me in there, that's very unsafe for me, but for him, this is just what he does and it's not that big a deal. So there's the risk and the, the apparent understanding of safety is so subjective and fluid Mm-hmm. That it's hard to really state, like, I'm watching this fire ground over there. I mean, within reason, somebody, you know, jumps off a building without a parachute. Okay, we can probably agree that's unsafe, you know, if right. it's a big building. Um, if they're going in without PPE, walking through a wall of fire, I think we can agree that's probably unsafe. Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming that probably wasn't what was happening in that Houston video. No. But to tell you that just because you don't think you're, that's, that's unsafe to you in, in your world, or maybe even your guys and girls in your department to tell some other department that that is that some act is unsafe seems a little disingenuous to me um, mm. and, and just fraught with subjectivity. Um, so I, I like, I like that answer a lot. And I think that you're not alone in, in, and obviously you're not alone in this, this fact that that ideology seems pervasive and it's, it's awful frustrating to a lot of guys and girls on this job. Right. Um, so decision making is something we really haven't taught about talked about mm-hmm. today, but I think it's important. We talk a lot about tasks and tactic, um, but making the right decisions sometimes is is something that is is forgotten about almost. Is mm-hmm. there something how do you go about trying to make better decisions on your fighter grounds? You know, I I think a lot of it is uh, again, taking some of that away from just like watching my old man and like the concepts that he kind of passed on to me as far as a human being is you know, one thing that he always said was like, you're either a part of the solution or you're a part of the problem. So that always like spoke to me as somebody that like, even just in normal life, like the green, like the green go, like you have to go always go default to go. So I think between that, having that and being comfortable with committing to things and also obsessing and having passion and trying to take as much mystery out of the job as possible and being educated that assists with 
I think a lot of ability to make decisions quickly and then commit to those decisions. Um, I don't know. And a lot of it too, like I think is just instinctual. I think it's again, just being involved with so much training and then also reading so much, even just reading a book or reading about more of like a, um, some books like about firefighting that are more, not necessarily about like lessons, but more like a autobiography, biography style book. Um, you know, I think there's information to be obtained from those. And I think passively, the more stuff you look at, the more stuff you watch, the more conversations you have, I think tra can translate to being comfortable in the job and, and making those decisions. Um, and I can't always, I can't always like, I cannot always reflect on it and say, I made that decision rapidly and so decisively because of these things. Sometimes it's just instinctual and I don't know why. And I just feel, I felt like this is, <laughs> I feel good about the decision and all of the other kind of pieces uh, that I'm seeing, like, I know this is the right decision, even though maybe I haven't actually done that particular thing before. But um, I think a lot of it is, is the uh, prerequisite knowledge piece, you know, taking that time to learn. And the, the more stuff you know, like you're always going to be, feel better about making a decision, right? Like if you, I'm trying to think of the best example here. Like if you, in Oregon, you know, you can take a right on a red, like a, you can make a right-hand turn on a red light. But if you didn't like take the time to do driver's ed, study the driver's manual, have log drive time with your parents and have somebody mentor you in driving and pass down their experiences as a driver and then take a driver's test. If you were just driving in this country or this state for the first time and you're have your blinker on to go right and the light's red, and all these cars are honking at you, adding to this pressure and people are looking at you to go and you don't know if that's the right decision because you don't have the requisite knowledge knowing that this is okay. So I think that not having that knowledge of spending the time and preparation truly pays out dividends when it comes to um, the fire ground. Yeah, I think a lot of what you're saying, too, is is verified by a lot of neuroscience, you know, talking about making sure that you have a solid foundation. So you have that education piece, uh, you have that experience piece, and even that vicarious experience by reading from other people's or talking to other people's mm -hmm. and learning about their experiences. And then also, you know, there's a lot of like, I don't know what I did until you start thin slicing these things. I did yep. it because I don't know. And I think that's that's pretty common if you start looking at Klein's work and and uh, Gary Klein, Preston Klein, and, and all these mm -hmm. other people's work too. So uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you said there too. Um, you also talked about reading books. There, we're going to kind of wrap this up with a couple questions, but sure. But kind of rapid fire. What is the best book you've ever read? And it doesn't have uh, to have anything to do with the fire service. It can be Moby Dick if you want. Oh boy, uh, so. I'm going to just go ahead and go with like, as far as fiction, I'm reading the Bosch series right now. Uh, okay. I've seen Bosch on prime. No. It's about a, uh, LAPD homicide detective and he's really, really dry. He's a really dry sense of humor person. And it 
kind of makes me laugh, but um, the book's really good. Uh, but as far as like more in the kind of life slash, you know, better person type books, there's a book called Turning Pro. Um, okay. It's really about committing to the trade that you're going to do. Um, you have to take some part of it with a grain of salt because it's like, yeah, if your marriage is holding you back from being a pro, then you need to get a divorce. Where I'm like, I don't like, I don't super agree with that, right? Like, I think you can be a pretty badass fireman who's knowledgeable and educated. And I think having the working marriage and spouse piece is very important. So I don't agree with that part. Um, but it's kind of about the author talks about getting rid of the low hanging fruit and the things that are dragging you down in your pursuit of excellence in the trade. And there's a lot of kind of tools and pieces in there. And that's by Stephen Pressfield. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Okay. So he's written a couple other books that I'm, that I'm pretty familiar with, but I'd never heard of, of turning pro. So I'm going to have to add that to my already really long list. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about the best fire class you've ever been to? Boy. Um, let's see. Well, that's tough, right? Like, I think the, you know, it's hard to say that the best all around engine class, like isn't nozzle forward um, because of all of the components that are involved with it. Um, but I also really, of course, like I'm biased to BIB. So I have to say like, we're probably the best out there, but um, <laughs> I like, I think the best time where I walked away and felt really good and kind of like rewarded walking from walking away from a class was nozzle forward. But then also getting to take Shoop's class. Because you really, if you take Shoop's class, you really see the origin story of Nozzle Forward and where Aaron got a lot of this stuff, stuff. And, and, and how he sets up his program. So um, getting to see that was really cool. And then uh, I like Jeff a lot. He's just a, he's just a cool guy. He's a, you know, I, lo I love him. Um, and there's a lot to learn from them. And they, there's Jeff and Aaron are obviously very different. Aaron speaks very eloquently and has a really strong gift of communication and passing along information. Whereas Jeff gives you really, really simple answers. And sometimes like you can't dissect that anymore. <laughs> uh, which is why I also love Jeff because it's, I, I, I don't think there's very many uh, more blue collar engine guys like besides like Jeff Shoe, who's just, yeah, just put, put the fire out. Why are you asking me this question? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you can't go to Shoe's class and like expect to ask for like a technical breakdown of something. Like that's going to be more of an Aaron Fields type thing. So I would say if you could combo those two, like 
those would probably be the best. Yeah, both good recommendations. I have not taken Shoop's class, but I think Fields is probably batting about 500 with Nasa forward for answers for that question. So I think that just says a ton. And, yeah. And, and, you know, like I, I, yeah, without being biased to us, to BIB, right? So um, I would, I, I will hands down say, though, that our basic irons and search class is the nozzle forward of that subject matter. Yeah, if I might have to sense. tell. We're, we're talking to Brian Lynch tomorrow, so I might have to, to tell him that you said that about forceful entry. And <laughs> to say. Well, <laughs> there might be – legend has it that Cousins and Ladders might have a contract written up somewhere where we're supposed to be the same team, but I don't, I don't know. There you go. Then it's all solved right there. If you're all the same yeah. entity, there's nothing. Yeah. yeah. There's like, yeah, no, there's and, and uh, I can speak to BIB search class. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, and, and being the search zealot that I am, it's probably the best class that I've ever taken. Um, so yeah. not just a kiss ass here. I, I, I honestly believe that. Appreciate that. Yeah. It's a ton of, ton of time and preparation and yeah, they're, they're long days and, I mean, yeah, I think there, there's some, the, there's a lot of energy that goes into it and that's what makes it, that's what makes, I think that's like what makes the best classes is the, the, the front energy half by the people that are putting it together. You know, I think, I think all of them are really great. If you got a good cadre who feels deeply passionate about the subject and they're going to put a lot of energy into delivering that message. The students can absolutely tell when the instructors are engaged and have put a bunch of time, energy, and effort into a class. And yeah. it's not lost on them. No. Okay. Uh, so last little wrap-up thing we got here. So we did book. We did class. Uh, we'll go two more. Best podcast. Okay. And, and just so we're clear, you can't say can't say your podcast right now. So okay. any other podcast, and it doesn't have to do anything. might not have anything to do with fire service. Is there something uh, that you're listening to? Yeah, dude. The Getting Salty podcast, I freaking love that one. It is so good. Uh, because it is like reading those books where it's just like, I, I just, I read a book probably a year ago about a Baltimore guy that kind of came up through the war years. I can't remember what it's called. I have to look at my Kindle list. Like nothing special, but it's just about him being on the Baltimore Fire Department in a busy time. And um well i think he worked i think he worked at the um uh the job town station uh like eight by 32 or whatever or whatever their station is um anyway really great book it just talks about all the fires he goes to all the crazy stories he has and the getting salty podcast is essentially those like kitchen table conversations with a bunch of like warriors fdny guys or, you know, uh, just not even warriors, but like just anybody and everybody on the FDNY who gets a lot of work and the stories, the podcast is hilarious, yeah. but it also can get really serious. And there's also like, if you listen long enough, like there's also little nuggets to pull out about like what guys have done at fires. You know, I can tell by the way they're telling the story 
they're not trying to educate anybody on anything, but it's like, oh, just that that process of the, the story he told of how he got into that window window and what he saw and how he did it. Like that's a nugget right there. So I really love that podcast and it's entertaining to listen to as well. Right. Like it's a good one to absolutely um, freaking polish some tools to and, and listen to. It's a good, it's a really great one. It's an easy one to throw in at like the firehouse because all the other guys and girls there will, will enjoy that. Like even wives yeah. would enjoy it. Like they, they tell a good story. They, they bust balls with each other. Mm-hmm. So it's entertaining. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. How about best conference you've ever been to? Again, without being biased to uh, PDX firemanship, <laughs> um, again, I'd say they're probably number one. I have I have not been to Carolina Fire Days, and I think that is very close. To my understanding, I'm going to be headed there in November to teach. Um, Joey Aller puts looks like he's putting in the the same amount of energy and effort because he sleeps like two and a half hours a day, but so he has all that time to make things happen. Um, but Carolina fire days, I'm sure is probably pretty close, but as far as one that I've actually attended, uh, I would say art of firemanship days is probably the best one I've attended. Um, the, the reason being is their live fire stuff is awesome. They have like no constraints. And when you do the lecture series, you actually, they have tons of different lecture options and you actually break can break off into uh, individual classrooms at this college. So you, you're really kind of more one-on-one with the instructor in a smaller group. And you're able to ask questions versus like the larger kind of like single stage lecture type conference where you're like, Oh, hold on. I, back up you know i need i have more on that um so you're actually able to ask questions and the social events are pretty freaking awesome um out at the allison hook and ladder company uh i don't know if you've been back there or not but um really Just great the pictures and and yeah a bunch of my buddies have went and and it's on the my not so short list i have a lot of not so short lists right now yeah but yep. it's towards the top absolutely yeah i i feel you um yeah i think they're uh i'd say they're probably they're probably the number one with their social event and social events and just like how the conference is set up and how kind of laid back it is how organized it is and just the people they bring i think um uh like brian bassinelli like he is just—he's a really great guy. Good mission. All the uh, pretty much like all those guys at Harrisburg. I mean, yeah, they're they're all pushing great things out there. So, yeah, those are all solid answers. Is there anything that that you want to touch on that we haven't touched on yet? Hmm. I don't think so. We could talk for seven more hours. Yeah. Right. I really enjoy talking to you, man. Thank you so much for your time. Um, hopefully we'll see each other again in the not too distant future. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you don't live out there with Jeff, right? 
Right? No, I'm a couple hours away. I'm four oh, hours okay. away from him. Because I'm going to be back out there doing DIY engine at uh, in Chicago or Aurora, that same place we were just at. Okay. Are you guys coming out for, for MAFA? Like in yep. like two weeks? Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'll be out there then. Oh, perfect. perfect. I'm helping out with a different class there. So well, awesome. cool. Let's, let's have a beer next time we're there. And uh, yeah. thank you so much for your time, man. It's much appreciated. Sounds good, man.